Hello, and welcome to Seen Any Good Films Lately. I'm Jason Solomons, and it's great to have you with me for this second show of the new look, new sounding podcast, where I tell you what I've been watching, and top guests share their movie loves with us. I don't want to give too much just because anyone's listening and hasn't seen the film. I want them to put it on and enjoy it. But when Paddy Considine's character is saying to Frankie at the end, my throat, like, was swollen. I was so emotionally, I was a mess. The guest you heard there is Kingsley Ben-Adir, who stars as Malcolm X in Once Upon a Time in Miami by Golden Globe-nominated director, Oscar-winning actor, Regina King. Kingsley, who's from North London, talks about playing Malcolm in a room full of Cassius Clay, Sam Cooke and Jim Brown. And he, of course, goes through his life film stories with us. It's a lovely interview and I'm thrilled for his success with this excellent film. So before we hear from Kingsley, let me tell you if I've seen any good films lately. I really enjoyed the Capote tapes. It's an elegant documentary about the life of Truman Capote and how he died without completing his final promised novel, Answered Prayers. Indeed, how writing it, at least partially, probably killed him as New York society slowly turned its back on him. Director Ebes Bonneau puts it all together with great Slim Aaron-style photographs of the Beaumont at play and lovely archive footage, and using another famous New York scribe, George Plimpton's, taped recordings of people Plimpton was interviewing to get a feel for Truman's unique and charming personality. Why did New York's finest, richest ladies worship the company of the author of Breakfast at Tiffany's and In Cold Blood? And why did everyone go to his party. All the ladies are wearing masks on Truman Capote's orders, and the inky wretches of the press on his orders also are being kept at a discreet distance from the guests outside this door. The people arriving here have come from Rome, from Hollywood, Venice, Paris, Washington, San Francisco, London, just to go to a party. 540 or so have dressed and quaffed and masked themselves and presented themselves at the plaza for the honor of serving themselves at Truman Capote's bar and saying they were here. Maybe that had always been the apotheosis of his childhood dreams. Being somewhere grand, having all the most beautiful, important people in the world in costumes, in Venetian masks. As people made their appearances, Truman, like a 12-year-old, clapped his hands, jumped up and down, saying, oh, you're my favorite. Oh, you're the most beautiful. Oh, you are the best. Oh, yours is the most successful to every person that walked into that hall. The Capote Tapes, a sad story, but waspishly funny in places, beautiful to look at and gorgeously told. And the Golden Globe nominations were out this week, giving us an idea of the films we'll be talking about all the way through to the Oscars at the end of April. I gave you a flavour of some of my upcoming favourites in last week's show. So I was pleased to see the nominations for Promising Young Woman, Judas and the Black Messiah, which I love, The Father, and particularly for Riz Ahmed and Dev Patel. I can't remember two British 
Asian actors getting such recognition before. In fact, not that I like to reduce the awards to a sort of flag-waving Olympic-style competition, but the Brits did amazingly at the Golden Globes. From fresh faces to old hands. Congratulations then to John Boyega too for his superb work in Small Acts, the red, white and blue segment. He was recognised in the supporting actor category for just that performance. To Anthony Hopkins, to Vanessa Kirby in Pieces of a Woman and to Celeste and Daniel Pemberton for their song, Hear My Voice from The Trial of the Chicago 7. Hear my Of course, there's a Black Panther connection with that courtroom drama set in uh, 1968 and the civil rights era drama in One Night in Miami four years earlier. Set on the night in 1964 that Clay, who was about to become Muhammad Ali and played in this film by Eli Gorey, beats Sonny Liston to claim his first world heavyweight title. He goes celebrating in a Miami hotel with his mentor, Malcolm X, uh, along with Sam Cooke, who's played by Leslie Odom Jr., and football star Jim Brown, played by Aldis Hodge. They don't really celebrate very much, but in the imagined scenario by writer Kemp Powers, these guys talk and talk and talk about the roles and responsibilities of the new black superstars they've become. So let's hear a snippet of One Night in Miami and then we'll get the man who plays Malcolm X, Kingsley Benadire, on. And I can tell you, he has got something to celebrate too. Yes, Cassius Marcellus Clay is the new heavyweight champion of the world, boy. Yes, he is. And I don't even have yes, a scratch on my face. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Cash. Cash? What? Cash, what? Why am I so pretty? Oh. <laughs> and I'm only 22 years old. There is no way I'm supposed to be this great. Look, Alexander the Great conquered the whole world at the age of 30, and yeah. I conquered the world of boxing at 22 <laughs> without sustaining so much as a scratch. That's right. There he goes. You do the math. All right. When, when is this party going down? Yeah, that's a good question. What's on the agenda, Malcolm? Well, I thought this would be a wonderful chance for us to reflect on what's happened tonight. Like our young brother said, there's no denying that greater forces were at work. You mean no one else is coming? Oh, rest assured, my brother, you're not missing anything. And I'm joined now by Kingsley Benadir, who is officially the Breakthrough Artist of the Year, according to the Gotham Film Awards. He's a winner. He's literally just woken up after celebrating all night. Kingsley, congratulations, man. Thank you. Thank you. I've been slightly hungover. <laughs> so you should be. Cool, man. I'll take, listen, bro, I'll take it. You know, you took Malcolm and, you know, he's such an iconic role. He's such a powerful role. Uh, and many people probably have their own ideas of how he should be or what he represents. And you've taken it. And I, 
and, and when you get the spotlight thrust on it like you do in awards obviously the, the, the performance is standing up to all of that scrutiny so that's right. the testament to it that's what's really pleasing about it you obviously did a really great job at it the, the heartbeat and the vulnerability of the piece was so dependent on Malcolm's like interior world and you know and who he was as a father and as a husband was something that I was like we got we have to really like try and tap into like you know the hero in private and that, that actually bravery and 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 being a hero is about actually being scared and still facing it you know and so i really wanted to explore how how dangerous things were for him at that time and you know it felt risky at times because you're like i don't know if people you know want to see malcolm like this people have a very sort of strong idea in their head of who he is and also what is beautiful is that you mentioned malcolm and you're seeing him in this light the way you play him in fact all of them you know, these icons that you feel like you know them a bit, Sam Cooke, Muhammad Ali, Jim Brown, but suddenly we're seeing their vulnerabilities. For me, this is what this film's about. It seems to be about stripping back a lot of iconography and masculinity and getting to the heart of really what makes people tick, as you mentioned, as heroes, what the her what the internal mechanism of heroism is. It's not big acts. It's kind of small mental gestures, in a way, leaps that you have to take, and you can do them in a hotel room. I thought that was what, you know, people said to me, oh, the film's good. It's kind of interior. It's kind of like a play. And I'm like, well, actually, there's some massive, massive emotional leaps and intellectual bounds going on in there. Making that movie was like just an extended rehearsal. It was like we were, we were rehearsing, and, and we were figuring it out as we were going along. Talk about the most mind-blowing acting process I've ever been a part of. It was really, really, really special to, you know, look back and go like, wow, that, that, that actually happened. I got to play Malcolm X in a movie where, you know, 85% of it is just talking. Yeah. So as an actor, it's a, it's a delight, you know? Like, Well, it's a lot, you know, I know actors in a play, you get decent like, lines quite a time, but in a film, actors always like get the part, and like, where's my part? And it's like, oh, there's three sentences. What can I do with this? Yours must have come here and like, blimey, I've got, I've got some speeches here. You really do. Right. And intense like uh, dialogue, duologues, you know, the one that you have with uh, Sam Cooke, uh, Malcolm X and Sam Cooke, the real nub of sort of black art and what it can mean and what it can do black politics that they're bound up with it that's a that's an extraordinarily powerful scene i think and it has to be played well otherwise you're just going to zone out and i was hooked i was like every little word i really wanted to know where this conversation was going who was going to get the upper hand you were like sparring you were like ali did you know i mean did you know about much about malcolm x himself yeah well i knew the, i think i knew the broad strokes you know what i mean like i knew i kind of knew roughly i knew who he was and sort of roughly what he was about i feel like the stereotypical imagery and the rabble rousing, lacerating demagogue. And Malcolm's just someone who's just in all of our kind of consciousness, you know, we, he's just aware of him. But I, I understood, you know, how important, particularly the conversation between Malcolm and Sam in the center of this movie, like that was the, that was really the scene, the conversation that I connected with, this, that that was what popped out. When I was like, I want to audition for Malcolm. It was because of that, that, that scene and that conversation and not really knowing whose side I was on. Know when I'm being watched, Sam. Boy, your paranoia is really cramping my style, now. Come on, just because you can't see bugs don't mean they ain't in the house, Sam. Up on this dirty-ass roof. Why don't you be like Bing Crosby about that shit, man, and accentuate the motherfucking positive? Look at this view. I bet they're doing them for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's nice, ain't it, Malcolm? It's most definitely soothing, Cass. The air up here is cooler. Far away from the prying eyes of your G-men. Yeah, you joke all you want, Sam. 
telling you it's got worse since the tension between me and Mr. Muhammad. Well, I met with a writer in New York a few weeks back. There were two guys following us through the airport. I swear it was the same two. I thought you didn't trust writers. No. Oh. This one was a brother, and well, this meeting was important. I figure I better start getting my life story documented in my own words while I can. Kingsley, it's brilliant to hear One Night in Miami see you succeeding at the Gothams and seeing the film so firmly in the awards race with Regina King nominated as director at the Globes. Um, But I'm going to ask you now if you've seen any good films lately. I've gone back over the last few weeks and revisited a bunch of films that I'm I definitely watched, you know, 10 or 12 years ago when I was just starting out. And I feel like I'm not sure I was in full appreciation of how incredible these movies were Mm. at the time. Some of them hit me, some of them didn't. Some of them maybe I put on a bit late and kind of like was drifting off. Oh, yeah. What have you been seeing? Like 21 grams. I was like, I don't remember. I remember watching it and I remember having the DVD and I know Sean Penn and it was Benicio. And I was like, let me watch that again. So I was watching like 21 Grams and then I went back to watch Babel. And then Birdman, I was like, did I see Birdman? I think I did. I think I only caught it halfway through at a screening. And Fight Club, I was like, God, it's been a long time. So you watched a triple bill of Inaritu movies. (laughs) So you've had a good session there, a Mexican standoff of of Inaritu movies. I went 21 Grams, I remember it very well. I haven't seen it since that since it first came out and since it was being, you know, touted for award season or whatever it was, sort of very, I remember it being a very heavy film, but I mean, it's still at that time, his approach to filmmaking, whether the different strands that he uses in Babel and Amores Peros and that he does in, in 21 Grams, you're like, this is all very, felt very new, you know, very refreshing way of telling the stories. I think he called it cubist approach. I interviewed him back then. He goes, it is, it is cubist. That's how I see my films. What's, um, what's cubist? Cubist, you know, like like Picasso, like he, there's like bits over here and bits over there. You come up, you come at the reality in a, in a sort of refracted way. You know, there are different approaches to the same event and... Do they call it, is it the Love Grief trilogy? Yeah, I was, I, it was intended as a trilogy in the end. Yeah, it was intended as a trilogy. And um, yeah, it was just really interesting to go back. And then, and then I, w- I watched some sort of Q&As with him afterwards on Charlie Rose and stuff and just listening to him talking about his his process and, and, and Benicio and Sean and how they all put it together. And yeah, I was just really blown away by like that real feeling of, of grief that connects them all and yeah. the loss. But it kind of still feels, there's still sort of hope at the end it was just really really like tragic like really really difficult stuff to watch and what Benicio does I, I like it was just a reminder of what a wonderful actor he is and Sean and all of them to be fair is, is he one of the actors for you Benicio del Toro is he one of the the guys that you inspired you in some way I mean I guess everyone does in some way inspire 100%, each other 100% I mean I, I watched his inside the actor studio maybe five or six times when I was at drama school whenever I was having a bad day at drama school I felt like I didn't want to be there or I was just sort of sick and tired of the, like the classical you know repetition of it and whenever I was feeling like that I would always go home and just put on and inside the actor's studio and watch a Sean Penn or a Tony Hopkins or a Benicio, but Benicio, a big one, yeah. And just, I remember hearing, I remember hearing a story about how he got his part in The Usual Suspects and how he, you know, all the good parts had been taken, but there was this tiny little role that he wanted. And he said that he discovered that the function of this character was to die, you know, on page 70 or whenever it was. And so anything that he said actually was pointless. 
so he got this idea to just like mumble everything he was saying because actually the purpose of the and I was just like this guy is just on a completely on another level and it was the first time I thought about you know really looking at scripts and 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 figuring out what your function within the piece is but anyway yeah no Benicio is definitely someone who and then Sicario I love that film Sicario how good is that film something right it's like the it's like the, the 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 landscape is is a character. It's like there's a real feeling. You, you, it's the second one where he where he goes to the that scene around the table. At the yeah, end. I mean, geez, but yeah, no, Benicio is someone who I mean, if I hear he's in something that's coming out, I'm, you know, I, I'd be I'm excited to you watch. go and see him. I remember seeing him in uh, he played Che Guevara for Steven Soderbergh, like a double, and it was on for hours. It's like three hours each part, and I had to watch them both and <laughs> like back to back. And he was just because of him, I just, it sort of flew by. Just watching him and the heaviness of him as Che gets older, and I just think he's a phenomenal screen presence. It doesn't get enough, you know. when when you sort of list the greats, uh, yeah. I don't think people give Benicio enough shouts out. Actually, I think he's, oh, he's a... I mean, he's as good. He's as good as you get. Like he's as good as you get. He really is. And that's a good remark. The Che, the Che, um, the Che films I haven't seen in years as well i think that's what i'm going to do this weekend i'm going to put both of those they go che marathon yeah excellent so you had the inner two marathon a benicio marathon what about the first film you ever saw what was that do you remember that kingsley i think it must have been hook Ah. i think it was hook or jurassic park at the cinema yeah it was around that time home alone you know my granddad had beverly hills cop 2 taped and we'd watch that we shouldn't have been watching it but we'd we'd, we'd just (laughs) We'd watch it like three times, you know, every weekend. But definitely, is, we're talking like 1990, 91. I'm five, I guess. And my memory, something tells me is Hook. Yeah. You know? and, I, and I watched Hook the other day, you know, just as we were leading up to Christmas. I was like, God, I haven't seen that film in a long time. Yeah, I'm just, I'll say Hook. Hook. Oh, do, you, do you know where it might have been? Which cinema? It must, Maybe it was Barnet. Maybe mm. it was Barnet. Because before we moved to Kentish Town, I think my mum had a my mum had a flat in Totteridge and Whetstone. So, yeah, it might have been there. Yeah, sure. it's nice up there. Though those those cinemas, they got two nice cinemas up there. Muswell Hill was a nice old cinema. Barnet Odeon is a good one. Yeah, yeah. Me and my dad, we used to go to the the Odeon in, in Muswell Hill. You know, on my birthday to watch films. I remember seeing the Harry Potters there and uh, what the first one anyway when I was young. Yeah, it's a nice cinema up there. The old Odeon. They've changed it, haven't they? To, it's to, an Everyman now, and yeah, but it's, uh, they've kept preserve that sort of Art Deco sort of uh, facades that they have up there. Um, yeah, beautiful cinemas. Is there a film? Is there a film that changed your life, Kingsley? There's a there's a uh, definitely a few movies that changed my life, but I think the one really has to be Jim Sheridan's In America. Oh, interesting choice. Yeah, yeah, because I I remember it. I remember it was 2002 or 2003, and I was 15 or 16, and I really didn't want to be there. I was sort of, my dad was going to the cinema with his friend, a few of his friends and his friend's kid. And I was invited to go along and it kind of felt rude not to. And so it was sort of early evening and I was just kind of going to get it done, watch the film. And so I could just get off afterwards and go and hang around with my friends in the street. And I just remember that the feeling was, I was just completely engrossed from the beginning. There was just something about the family that I guess the, the poverty, there, there was just like a struggle and and yeah i just i was just glued to the screen and then jaiman's character mateo comes in and his relationship with ariel the younger girl was 
just so magnetic. I mean, listen, I'm I'm trying to analyze, looking back, what was going on in your head when you see this. But also, I don't know. As you say, you weren't that old, but you kind of seen that many films that looked like that. That sort of it was fairly even for Jim Sheridan, it was fairly sort of handheld indie feeling. Do you know what I mean? And that immigrant experience that we, that it was it was sort of you know putting across must have must have resonated somewhere with you. And if yeah. you if your family had gone to America, you'd have you know had that sort of experience in some way. Yeah, on some level, maybe. But I'm really talking about a time where I had no interest in film or acting or anything. This was just like, I, I, I'm just trying to pinpoint the moment, the first time the sort of like seed was planted. Yeah. And 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 when, I don't want to give too much, just because anyone's listening and hasn't seen the film, I, I, I want them to sort of put it on and enjoy it. But when, when Paddy Considine's character is saying to Frankie at the end, like, my, I, my throat, like, was swollen i was so emotionally like i was a mess <laughs> and i was and it was really really like i'd never experienced that i'd never experienced like that heavy heavy feeling of sadness and emotion but kind of joy and just really i think on some level around that time i had that experience with other films as well and uh and i understood that maybe there was this job where you could get paid where you can do that. And I was kind of connecting all of these dots. And I didn't end up applying to drama school, you know, for another six or seven years till I was in my early twenties. But I think it was that ex the experience of watching Jim Sheridan's in America that really was the first time that I really, really cried, you know, and I felt like I really cried. I, I, I felt it in a really in a really deep way. I love hearing that story, Kingsley, I do. Cause you know, that, and you carry it with you, do you know what I mean? To even to just re resurrect it now for me, which is beautiful. But you, you, we do that, we carry these emotions that we experience, they're not even happening to us, but they're happening to us because they're on a screen and they yeah. they seep off and they stay with you and you remember that moment. And you know, it clearly did affect you deeply. And listen, Sam Morton, she's a, an actress from another planet in a way oh, do you know what i mean i mean god she's 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 something special but yeah you're right it is about making you know forcing people to look at their humanity you know to face their humanity and to like really think about how we you know feel just to see ourselves in each other and and how connected we all are if you know and just the power of that, like, what an incredible job they all did and and the power of Paddy Considine, you know, like, and his his playfulness and his emotional vulnerability, all of them, all of them, you know, all of them. But, but Paddy really, like, his work in that movie, you know, was really the beginning for me. And that's just a particular kind of acting style that those guys have, where they're all operating from truth always, you know, always connected to their their humanity and their empathy and always feel real and truthful and grounded and you know and there are great actors who you know are bold as hell and do some really wild stuff and don't always feel connected and th th there's value in that too but there's something about yeah something about in america that just sort of blew my mind when i was 16. listen it's been brilliant catching up with you uh and a winner and a winning performance i absolutely love i love the film and i loved you in it and uh, i'm really pleased that we could uh, talk and thanks for your memories and your, your inspirations on benicio and in in america and all of those kingsley benedict it's been a real pleasure mate thank you to thank, thank you for speaking to us thank you i appreciate you man cheers so good to see a local London boy doing well, Kingsley Ben-Adir. And I wish that film well throughout the awards season. You can see it on Amazon Prime right now. It's a good one, full of powerful ideas and dialogue and building up to the creation of a crowning moment in black history and soul music history. Oh, go on. Let, let's play it. I can't resist this. I was born by 
Sam Cooke and a change is going to come. Right, just time to mention one more film I've seen. It's a French one called Slalom or Slalom. Uh, and I mention it because, well, you can't go skiing at the moment. And this one is a coming of age tale set on the slopes of Les Arcantines and Val d'Isère. It's got Jeremy Renier as an Olympic coach beginning an inappropriate relationship with his speedy protégé, played by the excellent newcomer Noé Abita. She's a fast-rising star in France, just won the uh, Breakthrough Award at the Lumière. The film Slalom is directed by Charlène Favier, and it'll be on Curzon Home Cinema very soon. It's very French, very snowy, very tense and creepy, yet highly watchable. It would have been a can had there been a can last year. Tu vois, je te l'avais dit, hein, le travail paye. Une fusée. Championne de France. Yeah, put your bobble hat on and catch slalom if you can. It's racier than Ski Sunday. All of which shushing and waxing brings us to the end of this week's show. Thanks to my guest Kingsley Ben-Nadir for being great company and for a great seen any good films lately. Let me know what you've seen by emailing sagful at jasonsolomons.com as we all need recommendations still and let me know what you think of the films if you take up the recommendations of my guests or from me and do tell your friends about us and rate the podcast because the more comments we get on the iTunes page the Apple podcast page the easier it is for people to then find us and join in our little community and share in the excitement of all the good film tales and recommendations I'll be back next week with doc maker and ITV football reporter Gabriel Clark, who's made the excellent doc Finding Jack Charlton about the uh, World Cup winning England footballer and then extraordinary Irish football team manager. But this is far more than a football doc. Uh, and Gabriel, we'll find out, is far more than a touchline reporter. Join us for a terrific and surprising delve into some amazing classic British films you won't be expecting as the answer to seen any good films lately. See you next week. Mm-hmm.